Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Omega Metroid Podcast. My name is Andy Spateri, joined, as always, by Dakota Lasky. Dak, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. Doing uh, pretty good. I Nothing really out of the ordinary. Uh, I've, uh, I've had a new dog in my life for about a week now, so I've uh, been getting used to that. And other, nice. yeah, she's great. Uh, her name's Callie. It's my it's my friend's dog, but he's moving into the apartment, so it's my dog now. <laughs> and uh, and she's awesome. She's a husky. She's so cute. But she's sleeping over there. But um, yeah. Other than that, everything's pretty uh, pretty business as usual. And uh, looking forward to talking some more Metroid. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, it is raining cats and dogs here in Calgary, and also. Uh, we brought over my fiance's parents' dog yesterday to meet my cat, which was really funny. We have like huh. videos of the like he's this huge How's German Shepherd. Uh, he was only here for about an hour or so, but like he was fine. He was just he was doing his thing. He's like this big giant goof, and he he started to sleep, and my cat was just like, "What the hell is this thing?" And she was just she never seen anything that big, so that was that was really funny, but. We're gonna try and get them to become friends uh, somewhere down the line. Yeah, it's been unsuccessful because we have a cat, and my cat has been like hiding in my other roommate's room for about a week now. Just like has a little pillow fort and just hangs out in there because he doesn't. He leaves a little bit every once in a while, but he is very much afraid of this uh, gentle and soft and sweet doggy, which is funny. But, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a cat thing. They're yeah. they're weird like that. I don't blame him. Um. But we've got a good episode for you today. We're going to actually be covering a plethora of different subjects after our deep dive into Federation Force last week. But we're talking about cats. We're talking about dogs. I want to talk about rats, actually. I was just scrolling Facebook like 20 minutes before we started this episode, and I saw a Kickstarter for a game called Curse of the Sea Rats, and it is a new Metroidvania game. It's supposed to be releasing April 2021. Very, very cool aesthetic. It was like, kind of imagine the Great Mouse Detective, like the Disney movie, mm-hmm. that kind of aesthetic, but like everybody's pirates. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it just looked really, really cool. It caught my eye. Uh, looked, It's on Kickstarter right now. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all about new Metroidvania games. So when I saw this, I was just like, uh, this is pretty cool. Um, so I ended up, uh, I did like the, the free back because they have, crushed their their backer goals so i don't think they need more money but if you if anyone has any uh, spare change that they want to throw at this game i thought it looked really cool actually and maybe it's just because i have a soft spot for great mouse detective but it really really reminded me of that so uh go check it out over on kickstarter i thought it looked pretty neat yeah i'm looking at it right now because you messaged me today with this curse of the sea rats and i'm like okay dude like what is what is this I have no yeah, idea what you're talking you. <laughs> about, um, but I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, they destroyed the goal. The goal was like just under 17k, and it's like they hit like 180 thousand dollars. Like that's insane. Um, but it, it looks pretty cool. I, 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 the the aesthetic is really cool. I'm not like a huge like fan of the whole mouse. I might be I might be a little like traumatized by living in the Bronx and seeing so many rats and mice that. I don't know if I, I don't know if this game connects with me <laughs> thematically, but uh, the gameplay looks really cool. I love the art style, um, and and clearly it seems like it's going to be coming out. So yeah, I'm going to check that out. It looks pretty cool, and uh, maybe I'll be able to stomp some rats out in the process. In the yeah, game, in the game, that. in the game, yeah, yeah, in the game, in the game. Um, 
so that's uh, that's not the only cool thing that I saw Metroid related this week. I saw um, a book online that I ended up purchasing. It just came in a couple days ago, and it is called The Anatomy of Metroid Deluxe Edition by Jeremy Parrish. I'm really excited to actually dive into this. Basically, it's an in-depth game design analysis of the first three Metroid games. So Metroid, Return of Samus, and Super Metroid. And there's even a little blurb about Kid Icarus as well. So um, I got that. That's still up on Amazon if anybody wants to check that out. I'm like really, really looking forward to diving into that. looks like there's a lot of cool like screenshots and just artwork and stuff like that. So uh, any Metroid fans out there, which I'm assuming everyone listening to this is, um, this might be a a must-buy for you guys. So again, that is The Anatomy of Metroid by Jeremy Parrish, and that's on Amazon right now. So check it out. I'm gonna check it out, though. I wanna, I wanna hear your thoughts before I purchase it, or maybe you can photocopy it to me. I don't know. Uh, you know <laughs> I'll, what? I'll maybe, uh, maybe once I'm done um, reading it, we can maybe do a little bit of a show on it if there's enough meat on that bone there, and, and talk about some of the things that this book suggests. I was gonna say it sounds like this would be a topic to go over. This, I personally, I would love something like that for like Metroid Prime. That'd be so cool. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. But having it for the first three games, especially Super Metroid, is really sick. I would like to check that out, and yeah, you pretty much said everything that I would have said if I were in your position, so nice. So, you know what? I, I actually <laughs> want to float an idea by you, Dak, because since we've started this podcast, I've been like kind of slowly convincing a lot of my friends to play Metroid, right? Okay. And uh, when they ask me, like, what's the first one I should play, usually I'll say Super Metroid. Uh, sometimes I'll say Metroid Prime, but most of the time I'll say Super Metroid. So I have, like... Uh, three buddies right now playing Super Metroid for the first time and all of them are just like I'm stuck I don't know where to go I was almost like considering maybe writing a walkthrough of Super Metroid with like kind of a, a detailed like a walkthrough slash like I, I don't know not not just like strictly like go from point A to point B but like something cool something fun about that and uh, maybe it's because I've been writing about Zelda for like the last four years but I just like felt like walk like writing about something about Metroid so I don't know would you you think you'd be down to, to read something like that? Yeah, I, you know, I I kind of I feel I feel what they're they're putting down, you know. Sometimes you can get lost in that game and why not? We should, we should have our own walk through from the Omega Metroid. And that's the podcast. beauty of Metroid too, is getting lost in Metroid as well. So I don't really want to take that away, but like I thought that it would be kinda of cool. I you know, I understand these days people want direction and uh, maybe this is the kind of direction they need. But yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing to get lost and just like in Metroid Prime, you get super lost too, at times. Super Metroid, yeah. Some of the the magic of the game is is getting lost and kind of figuring it out yourself. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, if anybody down, listening, down. anybody out there listening would be down to uh, to read a walkthrough about Super Metroid. Uh, let us know at Omega Metroid Pod. Let's might be a lot of competition to... for you though. You know, there are uh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of walkthroughs out there already. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and when I say walkthrough, I think I just basically mean I would write about Super Metroid because I love Super Metroid, mm-hmm. and like it would happen to be I'm writing about the world and what you can do as you're going. I don't know. I was kicking it around because I it's just like I have so many people that are just like uh, asking me where to go in Super Metroid. I'm like, man, I should just write this all down. Yeah, why not? So we'll see. Um, okay, let's move on and let's talk about a big piece of uh, Metroid Prime Four news seems like a while since we've been able to say that but here it is retro studios has hired i'm gonna butcher this name i'm so sorry bat nanda kumar 
who worked on Call of Duty Black Ops 4. That's uh this is a very very exciting announcement. I'm looking at the the roster of talent that Retro Studios has assembled for Metroid Prime 4 and you've got like you've just got so many great artists, producers, engineers on this list, people that have worked on incredible projects both in like the first person shooter category, the platforming category, like you look at the list of names here and the and the games on some of the team members resumes here We've got people that worked on Battlefield. We've got people that worked on Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Borderlands 3, New Super Lucky Tale, Donkey Kong, Halo, Crisis. Like, it's it's stupid the amount of talent that is being assembled to work on Metroid Prime 4. So I'm, I'm really excited about this, especially because, I mean, Black Ops really is, you know, it's at the top of the food chain as far as, as first-person shooters generally go. Well, that's the thing, is I think it's not just important that, okay, we have someone from Call of Duty... Which is really cool, but it's what did this specific developer do in those games? He's been working on, uh, you know, at Activision for a decade and working on every Black Ops installment, apparently. It's not just four. I think he's been, he, he most recently was the lead engineer on Black Ops 4, but he's worked on every Black Ops game. And in those roles, he was the one to create the original theater mode in Black Ops, uh, which was the first time Call of Duty had a replay feature. Um, and seems to be involved in terms of Black Ops in online tools and gameplay programming and stuff like that. So when you think take those in, you know parts into consideration, now you're thinking, okay, what would Retro want with that kind of programmer or developer on this kind of game? As someone who wants some awesome multiplayer, I'm excited because maybe they're they are actually going to be putting, uh, you know, some more resources into that this time maybe they'll just be involved in like just the gameplay overall um as just a lead engineer who knows but i'm excited like it's not just someone who's part of like the developer team but like a veteran someone who's worked on multiple titles within the same franchise as someone who like they can clearly rely on um so yeah i'm i'm excited so now we're seeing like a bunch of different games being represented in this team right you have call of duty halo mirror's edge battlefield 5 um you have so many different uh, perspectives and kinds of experience and knowledge bases coming into this game. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this. And you and, and as far as I know, like when a company's hiring, that's usually a good thing. If they're hiring like low, you know, entry level or whatever, low salary workers after like a major cut or whatever, that's not you know that would be bad, right? In the case of like let's say Blizzard when they had a lot of layoffs, and then maybe they start hiring a few people for those same positions at lower salaries. In this case. Retro is hiring for more people, more positions, um, with people who have a lot of experience, who have a lot of time, and can bring a lot to the table. So that looks really good. I don't care. Like, I want this game to come out soon, but as far as I'm concerned, they can take their time with it. I'm glad that the team is growing. I'm glad that the team's getting stronger. This makes me more excited and more confident that this game's going to be great, and I can't wait to see what you know they have to show off whenever they do show it off. So yeah, this is awesome. This is actually great news, um, and yeah, I'm really excited to see what uh, what we get next. You know, I feel I don't know. I I feel like with all of the parts kind of seemingly falling into place here, perhaps you know, maybe I'm just being blindly optimistic, but perhaps it's time that we see a little something about Metroid Prime 4 in the near future. If it's a, a quick little teaser trailer, if it's just like, frankly, an update saying like, you know, we'll have something for you by um, like December, we'll have a trailer then. I feel like 
I feel like something is coming for Metroid soon. And I don't know if it's that because of all the rumors about a new 2D Metroid or if it's just like, you know, we know that that Metroid Prime 4 is being assembled from the ground up in the background here. I don't know. I, I just get that feeling that something is coming soon, um, which is very, very exciting. Yeah, it's just hard to know with like the current state of the world, really. Like, would we be hearing something now normally, right, if, you know, we weren't in the current situation that we're in? Or are we going to have to wait a little longer because the game's still being developed or because things have been delayed in general? Uh, yeah, I hope we right. see something yeah, soon. I, I can't wait. Yeah, I, I do think that I, we're... I don't mean I don't mean to suggest that we're going to see like Prime Four like releasing soon. Oh but no, just, yeah. I feel like it's it's, it's time anything. to show yeah. people. Yeah. But that's the thing is that do we know like like when they want to show something up? I think they're really going to wait until they really have something because I don't think they can like they can't get a, they could get away with the teaser thing again, but. I think they know that when they show Prime 4 again, it really has to bang. Like, it has to be really hype. Yeah. It has to be really good. It has to be, like, on point entirely. So I think they're going to wait until, like, the moment's just right. Like, they know. I, as much as we, like, you know, kind of, uh, not slander, but, you know, we'll talk about Nintendo in terms of, like, how they treat Metroid marketing-wise and overall as a franchise. I do think they still know, like, the gravity of, like, the Metroid Prime name and the expectation that comes with it. And and really everybody does I think even if you don't play Metroid Prime I still think a lot of people know like oh that's that that's that's the oh, good stuff right so I think with them like they know that like we really got to get this right we really and even Retro too I think it, on their end too I'm sure they really want to like knock it out of the park and be like look at this we're coming back to this franchise we haven't touched in over a decade and we're gonna not even miss a beat we're getting the super team together we're gonna make the sickest game like that's how if I were running Retro Studios that's what I would want to be doing right I'd be wanting to make the sickest game possible like we're gonna make sure that they were you know regret ever having us not work on the Metroid series, right? Even though it was Retro's decision to move on into other games, but still. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I think this is going to be awesome and I can't wait to, to see whatever it is when it comes out. Cause I think whenever they do show something, it's going to be epic. Yep. I agree. And uh, I don't know, maybe this, ex this, this announcement has just got me excited. There's, I feel like there's Call something in the air. So <laughs> You know, I I have to admit something to you, Dak. I've never played any Call of Duty game ever. Not even really, multiplayer man? at a buddy's house. Dude, like, I mean, just... Call of Duty is like a punching bag game, but Call of Duty can be and is and has been good. Like, Call of Duty 4, like the original Modern Warfare, is one of the best FPS games of all time. Like, Black Ops, Black Ops 2, obviously, introduced, like, zombies, really good games. Uh, those are games that, I mean, obviously, there are some duds and some not great ones, but... It's worth playing the good ones, even for the campaigns. Uh, you know, maybe if you don't want to play the multiplayer, that's one thing. But yeah, I, it, it, yeah, I don't know. For for a Nintendo gamer like me, I'll I'll take a a two D platformer. About you got to broaden your horizons, man. You know, you, know? you got to broaden those horizons. I I one thing I love about FPS games, just like it's so immersive, dude. I love being like right in it like with with stuff that isn't first person not that it do isn't as immersive but at the same time it kind of isn't i think like i really get the most immersed in uh first person games um but that's just me well that's fair enough um let's move on and let's finally get to uh what we are here to talk about today and uh that is the trope of using clones or doppelgangers or enemies that are a dark reflection of our hero Samus in the Metroid series and not just of Samus, but just in general. Um, this was something that we were kind of chatting about. And then we were just like, you know, this would make kind of a cool episode because Metroid does actually lean into this, uh, this trope, maybe more than we think. Like, obviously we all know about the SAX and dark Samus, 
but um, there is a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of other instances where the Metroid series uses this kind of, this evil version of a hero trope as well. And, uh, you know, that's what we're here to, to dive into today. And uh, Dak, this was kind of on your brain, so maybe take us away and, and tell us about what got you thinking about this. Yeah, so, so Andy uh, walks by me in the hallway and he pushes me against the locker and he shakes me down. He's like, you need to come up with a topic for this episode. <laughs> or I'm taking your lunch money. I was like, all right, all right, all right. Um, yeah, I thought this was something to think about because, you know, we, we were focusing on Federation Force, like, specifically just a single game on our last episode. So I'm thinking about doing something that, you know, kind of, cross, you know, goes across multiple games, multiple generations. And, yeah, this was kind of like a theme, a trope that does come up pretty often in the Metroid series, not only as, like, in respect to, you know, major antagonists, but just in general. Um, you see it in enemies, you see it in, I mean, you can look at, uh, Metroid Prime 2 and there's a whole planet and like dimension that is, you know, a mirror of another one, a doppelganger kind of dimension. Um, so it's something that's pretty common in Metroid, but not something that you really always kind of stop and think about like, oh yeah, there are kind of a lot of like clones and, and doppelgangers and stuff in the franchise, which I guess makes sense for a sci-fi property. But, um, you know, I thought something would be cool to talk about. So, yeah, I figured we'd, we'd jump into this by looking at the, the different ways this trope has kind of been exemplified and, and is on display in the series. And uh, kind of going about what we thought about each instance and, and what we see for the future. Right. So before we get to the two that everybody wants to talk about as well, let's spend a second just talking about some of the the lesser known um, instances of like the the fakes or doppelgangers in here and you brought up a great one deck and you were you're basically saying like what's your what's your favorite like non non samus-esque doppelganger in the series yeah and speaking of super metroid i love when you go head to head with the Terizo. um it's such a you know over over the course of playing multiple metroid games and even though super metroid was my first metroid game you've just been conditioned to know that those Chozo statues are a good thing and that they are, you know, you're about to get something great. You're about to be rewarded in some instance. And I kind of love the idea that this kind of flips that on its head. And actually you got to fight this guy. Yeah. I thought the Teresa was like the best non like boss example of this trope, right? Like the Chozo statue is something that you immediately think, Oh good. That's, that's a respite right there. That's a safe haven for me. I'm getting something. And then that gets turned on its head. Though the enemies are never really, like, the strongest to ever deal with. I always thought it's cool to have this, like, animated... Uh, and that's another thing, trope, too, is how, like, Metroid, when it does uh, bring some kind of unique enemy to the fold, a lot of the time they might be, like, an animated corpse. So they're an animated pile of rocks, like in the um, example of, like, Thardis. Or they're an animated Chozo statue, right? Which I always think is cool, like, how these things kind of come to life that are part of the world in a way. Or might, might not be. Um, yeah, I think the Terizo are a great example of this, like the go-to example. I think the Terizo are really cool. I would love to see like that idea continue and maybe get like stronger versions or bigger versions. Um, yeah, I thought the and like you know you have your like the Golden Terizo and all that. Um, yeah, I think that the the Terizo are a really good example of this. And that was this they were actually what made me think about this idea overall like because you know like i said like and we'll go into this later the sax and the dark samus examples are pretty obvious but i was like what what else like there are other things this and the next one which was one of my favorites uh, the the fake missile tank uh infusion that shows up which i think is like so out of place but kind of funny like a very video gamey 
kind of thing. Those two things um, made me think about this this topic, and that's why I wanted to pick it. It actually took me a second to remember where the fake missile tank even came from, because when I was like, when I was reading it, I was like, where the heck was that? And then I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, it's an obscure yeah. like one or two time thing in fusion, and he's like off like like they remind i think this happens in like i think they're an enemy too like not the missile tank but like a similar like fake enemy in like wario land 4 on like the game boy advance as well and i'm sure that and they show up in a bunch of other games too like it's a common trope that shows up in a lot of video games but it's funny how it's implemented like other video games in metroid you know it's not like a fake chozo statue or a fake metroid enemy it's just a a, a video gamey pickup that is has like bat wings <laughs> or whatever and looks like very out of place um and I was like, oh, you know, that's a kind of... I think there's a fake uh, energy tank, too, though. I might be misremembering. But, yeah. Like, I always like those things. Um, the other one I was thinking of, and maybe you would uh, be a fan of, the, the mini Crade that you fight just before yeah. you take on Crade. You know, so I was I was about to say, like, um, you know, we were, we were going to talk about some good and bad examples. I think the Chorizo... And the fake missile tank are like really good examples of this in Metroid. Mm -hmm. And actually, surprisingly, I don't really love Mini Crate. Oh no! For whatever reason, and I like I actually like I like the the enemy Mini Crate, but it's just like it's just be kind of it's just like you're fighting you're about to fight like actual Crate Crate, and then you have like the small version of Mini Crate. So for me, I was just like, uh, you know, he just he feels lesser than just by default. So. It was kind of cool blasting him, but uh, maybe if there were, like, maybe if there was more of a reason for those mini crates, like, if there were, um, let's say that you discovered, like, a nest or something like that of, of crate <laughs> eggs or something like that, right. and these and these mini uh, crates got out, and, like, that's the reason for them existing, I would actually be really down with that, but it's just, he just kind of shows up randomly, and it's just like, Oh, okay, like is is this crate? You're and you're kind of confused, and then you're just like, no, well that that can't be crate because it's not behind a boss wall, but like it looks like him. So, uh, it, this one actually isn't my favorite, despite my love for crate and uh, and all that. So uh, there's there's my surprise for you, but yeah, this one I think is isn't as well handled as the Terizo. Yeah, the implications of the the mini crade are weird it's like okay are there like so many like are there multiple crades on this planet does crade like start out small and get really like super huge or are there full-grown small crades like was that an adult crade that was just another size or is it a baby crade uh yeah that's i don't know why they did that and i also believe that there's like a, a fake like mini ridley that wasn't used but is like in the game's code which makes you wonder, like, hmm, I wonder if they, like, maybe got to the, the mini Ridley part. Like, eh, maybe this isn't such a good idea. And by that part, it was too late to get rid of <laughs> mini Craig. They're like, ah, screw it. Just leave him in. Uh, we, don't have to, yeah. we don't have to explain it. <laughs> but don't use the, the mini Ridley. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that was always a weird one to me. Because at least, like, the fake missile tank and the fake energy tank have, like, that video game kind of reason for being there. They're, you know, they, even if they kind of stand out from the rest of the world. But this, the the mini crate kind of doesn't, like, why would you have, like, a miniature version of the same boss that, you know, it doesn't put up much of a threat at all? And lore-wise, why would the fake crate, the mini crate exist at all um, on the planet nearby the big crate? Um, other than, I guess, it being, like, its offspring or something, which doesn't seem to be applied in any other means otherwise. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, weird stuff. But, yeah, there, there are some good uh, instances of this and some not-so-good ones. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. It's just like, 
it's cool, but like it also is is just weird and whatever. You know what it also it almost feels like is you're fighting the NES version of Kraid before you yeah. get to the, like the SNES version of Kraid. Um, maybe it was like a throwback which is maybe to why that for reference maybe. That actually like maybe yeah. um, that makes sense to me. Maybe that's why they took uh, NES Ridley out of Super Metroid because he looks ridiculous. Yeah, maybe. So, um, uh, speaking yeah. speaking of Ridley, let's uh, let's talk about him because there's also a couple clone versions of this guy, or actually, I guess just one clone version of this guy. Now, Dak, you have Ridley X on your list. Oh of my god, I didn't here. even think about. <laughs> but you skipped I didn't a even... very specific wow. kind of. clone. <laughs> I I dead ass completely didn't even think about the other Evan Ridley clone. I just it completely like blocked out of my mind. I was gonna say like that's probably an instance of of cloning or creating a doppelganger in the Metroid series that doesn't exactly work um, for a variety of reasons. Um, I I feel like I feel like this trope really works well, and not just in Metroid but just in like games media in general when like you see a dark image of your hero and like what what could have happened to this hero if, if he would have made some slightly different steps in in their path in life or something like that so like or kind of a, a dark reflection of like um you know what what could have been if if certain things hadn't happened or had happened and for for just on that principle alone i don't think that it works well when like you have a villain that has like a clone or, or dark image of himself and like especially the way that other m went about it with the kind of metamorphosis of the little oh my god to ridley and now you know what i i defended this before on the show and i'll defend it again i actually don't think that that idea is awful in it's so bad in theory because like you see it on alien too when like the the, the chest burster comes out and like he eventually like evolves into the xenomorph as we know but other M just didn't do it very well. Yeah. <laughs> like the, just the design of, of the birdie going into Metroid or going into Ridley looked really bad. Ridley looked really bad. Uh, this one is probably, probably the schmozziest version of this trope that we've seen in the Metroid series. It's, it's so bad. I hate it. So this is the dark side of Ridley. If he like took steroids and went to the gym, because for some reason they decided to make him like yoked out of his skull. Um, I maintain that the Federation sucks at what they do because that's been proven time and time again. And they had all a ton of different organisms on that, uh, on that ship within close proximity of each other. What I maintain is that they had Ridley DNA. It got mixed in with some other animal or organism, alien, whatever species DNA and created this quote unquote clone that has this weird life cycle. You know what? I'll maintain that, uh, or I'll argue, okay, like, fine, or concede that, fine. Maybe Ridley having, like, this life cycle like a Pokemon isn't the worst thing. I think it's stupid, but if it was executed better, maybe it'd be fine, because, yeah, the, the Xenomorph and Alien also has the same thing, and that's fine, and I never really think of that as a negative. So, okay, I'll concede that, but um, I don't accept that the cl- a clone of something looks very different than the thing it's supposed to be a clone of. The thing I liked about the we'll get to this. But the thing I like about the Ridley X clone is that all the X clones all look kind of exaggerated. They're all kind of uh, detached a little bit from the original image of what they were. Right? They have this kind of corrupted look to them. So when Ridley X looks a little different than the actual Ridley, he has like a bigger like uh, he looks like a caricature of himself in that game. A bigger like 
exaggerated head and like the smaller wings and this crazy screech and all that. That worked for me. It looked really cool. Um, with the other M Ridley, he doesn't look like a Ridley despite being, should be scientifically a one-to-one clone. So that's why I think he was mixed in with some other stuff. And then even if he doesn't look like the actual Ridley, he looks stupid. He looks so dumb. Like he has, he's like this big jacked up body and a stupid duck bill. And it's like, <laughs> what are they, what are you, what are you doing to my boy? Look what they've done to my boy. Like I hated what they did with him. Um, it's so stupid and awful. And I completely blocked it out of my mind. But I think the trope works still for Ridley because not. I agree that yeah, for like a villain, maybe having this like, I don't know. When I think of him as a clone, I don't think of him as like a dark side of the. I don't think a clone necessarily has to be like a dark side of like the original yeah, like, image. Like doppelganger, is but more doppelganger so like would be yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't really consider the Ridley clone to be like a doppelganger. Whereas like the SAX clone, I think is more of like a doppelganger in that kind of way. Um, but in in that regard. Uh, I think it works kind of for Ridley because Ridley already has, like, the gimmick of coming back to life, you know? So, like, him having, like, another version of himself that comes back to life and, like, replaces the actual live one, I think, for Ridley thematically makes sense. It's just it wasn't executed well. It worked fine with the Ridley X. Like, uh, other I'm just ruined that, man. I hate that game and uh, how they did that. But yeah. Before we before we get off onto a, a deep dive about other <laughs> M and, and and its sins against Metroid, it's sins. I will say that Perfect I actually <laughs> sins. I I do kind of like that it kind of at least in a backhanded way explains what Ridley is doing on um, yeah on the BS on, the on BSL and... Infusion. Yeah, I. But did that need to be explained? I I wanna I, I'm not asking rhetorically. Do you think that needed to be explained? Uh, you know what? I, I don't think it did. Like, when I was playing, I was never just like, like, what's Ridley doing here? Um, That's, like, part of the mystery of the game, you know? It's like, ooh, like, the Federation, like, Ridley's dead. How does yeah. the Federation have his body? I thought I completely destroyed that. Like, that was part of the mystery. Now Other M's like, oh, no, no, they made this stupid clone, and then they, you fought it, and then they froze it, and there it is. On, on the other hand of that, on the other hand of that, um, you, you know, I was fine with that, but I do see a lot of people, and even in the Metroid Database Discord, that are just like, it doesn't make any sense that Ridley's on SR388, blah, blah, blah. Why is he here in reference to, to Sam's Returns? So at least, like, maybe for those people, they can just be like, oh, okay, well, that's why Ridley's here, and this makes a little bit more sense. I I, I don't disagree, actually. I was totally fine with Ridley just showing up. It was kind of shocking. Cause it's yeah, like, it's supposed oh, to be shocking. You're supposed to be Exactly. Dead. That's what I'm saying. It was a storytelling. Like, it was, it was part of the story. Like, that's – it added to the – whole like it immediately like not immediately because you kind of you you see that later but like when you see him it, you're already kind of being suspicious of the federation at that point in the game that continues to add onto the pile you're like wow like how is ridley even here why do they have him how are they able to even get him by having it entirely explained that it deflates like that all of that was worked that that fusion did and like and, and how well it worked there i don't think it completely deflates i think if you still play fusion it's fine but like it just i don't think those things necessarily have to be explained um and when you explain it it kind of just like you explain how ridley becomes ridley not that i think it necessarily takes away from but it kind of does another m it kind of does take away that gravity of like uh, what is ridley well, oh well he's just like this pokemon that turns like into a dragon or whatever from like a little bird, and you know like, it it loses like the air to it, the little the mystery, the mystique, like the the stuff you don't know is is interesting to me, and especially in like Metroid and a sci-fi series where you know horror and mystery and the unknown is a big part of of each game. 
you know, so to like have things kind of explained and, and your hand held for, in my opinion, no reason in this instance, not necessarily saying that like everything doesn't need to be explained. Some things do need to be explained, but I think that one thing didn't need to be explained. And if it was going to be explained, obviously how other did it was dog doo doo. But yeah, you know, what? Uh, I'm, I'm okay with, um, I'm okay with that little tidbit. Um, it, to me, it doesn't ruin Ridley being on the BSL. It's just like, okay, well, like now we know how we got here, and now we know that they were the Federation was definitely conducting. Some I think that makes the business. story overall not as good, but eh, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But, but let's let can we move on to the better Ridley clone, the better Ridley doppelganger? I think because I think we should start oh, moving yeah. into the main. I mean, basically, we're already, yeah, we're already there. The, the, the doppelganger right an- antagonist, but I love I love Ridley X. Ridley X is great. Like I said earlier, um, I love how like exaggerated Ridley is and the mystery of how we got because let's just let's just this is how I live my life Andy other M doesn't exist okay so it's 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 bliss it's bliss <laughs> it's bliss it's bliss okay so I just played Super Metroid killed Ridley he's dead boom 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 done um comes I mean I assume he's you know I'm pretty sure he's dead I get to other or I get to to this uh, other ship right the BSL I'm on playing fusion oh my god Ridley's here whoa how did he get here that's the mystery the shock I'm I am suspicious. You get to fight him and you get this enclosed claustrophobic fight against him. You know, there's no lava, there's no uh weird stuff in the background, just you're in a, a steel, like dirty room <laughs> with Ridley fighting this like a reanimated corpse. Again, reanimated, like um another trope that Metroid loves to use, which I think works well. And you're fighting this like zombie Ridley that's like has this like exaggerated head and these huge claws and this like tiny wings and this crazy screech and ah, i i loved it i love ridley x i love how they executed it um and also he's not a huge i mean he's really not a big part of fusion at all but i think the role he plays is great and he's used very well and i'm like ah ridley 10 out of 10 great performance loved it buddy um yeah i love ridley x uh, you know, I we've talked about the Ridley X fight before, which I I think is kind of lacking. But yeah. I will say that I do like Ridley's appearance a lot in in Fusion, and I like it just because it kind of subverts your expectations. Because the first time you see him is in like that cold room, mm-hmm. and then like he just like dies, like he just shrivel, his bones fall to the ground. It's just like mm-hmm. oh okay, um, which I think is like very very interesting because like even considering when fusion came out at the same time as prime and prime has been building this guy up, building him up, building him up all game long to that epic showdown. And here it's just like, he's already dead. Like this yeah. is weird. So ah, I, yeah. I do love that. Yeah, I love that. And then I love that he came, I love that he came back as well. And it was like, it kind of played into how, um, again, fusion was leaning into the horror elements mm-hmm. a lot more than a lot of the other games. But I, I thought that his appearance while brief was good. He kind of has that, deformed particularly in his jaw yeah his jaw is a lot more rounded it almost looks like a t-rex jaw mm-hmm. um which is weird because like supposedly his clone in other m he has like this duck bill jaw so it's it is funny how that works but yeah I, I loved his appearance in here i thought that it added um a lot to kind of the intrigue about what was going on on the ship and like who was really pulling all the strings so he wasn't like um he wasn't integral to the story but it was a good way to to get the the main story across a lot more so this this one might actually be one of my one of my favorite um you know instances of metroid using this trope but yeah probably not as much as the other thing that fusion does let's move on to the big two that everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about when we're talking about clones and and doppelgangers in the metroid series 
and uh, let's talk about the SAX. Yes. And man, I love the SAX, I, dude. I think that the SAX is absolutely fantastic and probably hands down, not even probably, it's hands down the scariest enemy in the Metroid series because you are powerless against it. There is nothing you can do for like 95% of this game to even harm the SAX. The only thing that you can do is run for your life. Dude, I, I remember the first time you at the big playing Fusion and the first like cutscene where like sh- the SAX blasts through the wall and walks over the elevator platform and like zo- and, and turns towards the camera and zooms in. That like everyone knows that shot, man. That like just oh, that yeah. hits you right in your bones. That like ooh, that's that was I, that scared me. and like the like the shrill like music effect that plays like with it. That scared me as a kid. And of course, the the classic legendary chase sequence, right? Um, where yeah, you, all you can do is freeze her, and you're like frantically running through these corridors, shooting at these missile doors, uh, trying to freeze her, and then like hiding in the ceiling to get away from her. Um, I love the SAX was so cool, and the great thing about the SAX like there's so like minimal effort is needed to like establish how strong this character is because we already know how strong full powered Samus is. Right. So we already know what the stakes are already know we're up against because we've played super Metroid. We played, you know, these games, we played smash. We know what fully powered end of game Samus is capable of. Right. So we don't need any establishing. We don't need any exposition to know how strong this character is, uh, which I think is just really great. I love that about the SAX. And has that obviously like that the non-existent stare, like dead look in its eyes. Um, it's like a ghost of your former self. I absolutely love the SAX, and it's one of my favorite uh, villains, not just in the Metroid series, but like in video games. Uh, three things that I want to say about the SAX that I always really loved. First is so underrated, but like mm-hmm. when you hear the SAX's footsteps and it's dead quiet and it's just like, yeah, that's. That is, like, fantastic. It creates such a mood. It's so creepy. I always remember just hiding and being like, please, dear God, don't don't see me. Um, yeah. So I always love that about the SAX. I love that um, the SAX is, like, you know, it's it's a copy of Samus, and therefore it, it kind of has Samus's innate desire to to hunt down the Metroids, coupled with the X's desire to hunt down the Metroids. So it's, like, this ultimate killing Metroid machine. And I love that. I love that it, like, basically stops fighting you at a certain point to eradicate all of these different Metroids. Mm-hmm. So I really love that. But the thing that I the, always stuck out to me about the, um, the SAX is, like, do you remember at one point in the game, I think you've just found the secret research facility. You're talking to Adam, and he just says, like, he's like, yeah, there's about 10 SAXs on this ship. I was just like, oh, my God. I Like, I will... I will never forget the first time that he said that because I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to fight an army of these things. I can't even fight against one. So that was such a cool moment. I loved the the characterization of the SAX. It's just like such a threat. I think that they, this is probably my favorite instance of um, of, of cloning in the Metroid series. Yeah. And you're, that's a, a great moment you bring up where like Adam says like the 10 SAX because then right after he's pretty much like all right well we we gotta we gotta destroy this place we gotta <laughs> we gotta blow it up and you don't need any convincing you're like yep I I'm with you 10 SAX on this on this place uh how how quick can we get there you know so like again like it's it's so easy to set up the stakes and you know what needs to be done because you know how powerful this thing is i wish that you could have taken on like the 10 of them like having them like maybe like hunt you down throughout the lab 
Uh, maybe taking on two at once. That would have been crazy. Uh, maybe for a, a Metroid Fusion remake, make that happen. Maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, I've got I've got kind of a weird anecdote though. I I do like. Uh, I'll I'll just go straight into my example. I like that they made the SAX like all powerful and they didn't dilute SAX. So like mm-hmm. in Alien, for example, in the first Alien, the Xenomorph is like all powerful, right? And like it's such a threat. But then you go into Aliens, like the sequel, and uh, Ripley is just like destroying aliens left and right and like she's fighting the queen and stuff so like the the individual xenomorphs kind of lost their their threat i feel in the sequel so i'm glad that fusion didn't do the same kind of thing where like you're just all of a sudden you're cheesing like sax is left and right yeah i can i see what you're saying there yeah i agree with that that the sax was kind of still like even though it wasn't really the final boss of the game, technically it, it was right. Like, you know, that's what it's mm-hmm. all leading up to. Like when you finally have, like, that's really the whole game is like, all right, you're building up to being at the same power level as the SAX. So you can fight yourself. That's really the game. Um, so when you finally hit that level and you're like, all right, all right, it's on. Um, yeah. I love that. The SAX never really feels, it's never like feels like it's not a threat until it's dead right even at its last moments when it turns into the huge like desperation mode monster where you know the boss fight arguably be arguably becomes a little easier but it's like it's desperately trying to stay alive it's going full monster mode i love that part too um and like you can and it looks so crazy too it has like that visor face and and the the arm cannons like sticking out of it's like grotesque like massive like an arm and shoulder um I love the monster design of its final form. Yeah, the SX like only really felt like even when you were getting closer and closer to being as strong as it, it still felt like a huge threat and never felt like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, max out everything and just run through and cheese it out. Though you can still cheese it out in terms of like its fight pattern, but like lore wise and in terms of how you enter the fight, it's still a pretty high stakes scenario. Um so yeah, I love how they treated the character throughout the rest of the, throughout the entirety of the game. You know, if those uh, rumors of a new 2D Metroid were true and we got a remake of Fusion, I wouldn't be upset. I'm just saying. Oh, I would um, not. I would love that. I think that it is a triumph of the Metroid series that they managed to make not one, but two clones of Samus mm-hmm. and have them completely different and completely yeah. unique. So let's talk about Dark Samus, the most famous uh, of the of the clones in the series. Of course, this is actually Metroid Prime, and you don't really see Dark Samus, uh, you know, coming to her own until Metroid Prime 2, and you have a series of awesome boss battles against her in that game, and she looks, like, more and more creepy and, like, kind of starts to look like the final form of Metroid Prime by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I really love that... Uh, I just lo- I love her characterization and her presentation in there. I love that she is, like, a little bit more acrobatic than regular Samus, and just that in Corruption, she really leans into, like, the Phazon powers that she has. Um, I think that they did a really great job creating a, a antagonist for Samus. I don't think that she feels as scary as SAX does, but um, she feels perhaps more formidable and more powerful, particularly in Corruption, when you are in that suit that's slowly killing you, and you know that Dark Samus can overwhelm you at any point when you're on the planet phase. So I, I think that they did a really good job with dark Samus. Um, maybe not as memorable to me as SAX, but really, um, 
you know, Dark Side was just so memorable maybe, to me. I think even maybe memorable isn't isn't the right word because I mean they're both memorable. They're both fantastic. I just like um, SAX was just so scary and so like you know you were just so helpless against it. And the fact that I think maybe what I'm trying to say is like um, Dark Samus was a great foil, but. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think you fight Dark Samus four times and you beat her four times, so she doesn't have that same kind of thing where it's like, I can't beat you because you beat Dark Samus all the time, if that makes sense. So wow. both, again, but like both are completely different. They're they're presented differently. So and I think that they're both extremely effective in how they are presented. So you know, I to say I don't like you know I love Dark Samus. I think that she's fantastic, but um, I I think. You know, gun to my head, I might take SAX over Dark Samus. I mean, I might too, but I think they kind of feel like they're both really great in different ways for me. Like, I love yeah. how Dark Samus is like the major driving antagonistic force over two games. Because, you know, I mean, yeah. Well, if you really want to count, you know, the Metroid Prime version of Dark Samus too. Like, yeah, the fact that Metroid Prime itself is like the main driving antagonistic force over three games, I think is so great. And how it goes full circle with her appearance at the end. Um, they just, they hit different like spots, right? Like the SAX is kind of this like really like existential dread kind of, uh, antagonist, right? Where it's like an infection. It's not something that like is evil, right? Like it just, it exists to feed and, you know, uh, continue to like thrive on life forms and, and prosper and reproduce and all that kind of stuff. Right. Whereas like dark Samus is like, you could argue is a little more of like an evil force, even though Phazen is like a natural organic kind of thing in a way it corrupted things. It had like a, a bit of a, a more of an evilish agenda, even though then I don't even know if I would describe dark Samus as necessarily evil in that way, but the, the different kinds of like, antagonistic force they are make them separate them a lot to me i just love how like dark samus like is like leading like a, a corrupted army at one point like seems to have these kind of like 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 a vision right like it seems to have this mm-hmm. kind of like conscious like forethought and planning and has something in its like head to to do something right and whereas the sax is just like essentially a bug that is just going to you know feed and reproduce ad nauseum until it dies or something kills it right um, two very different, but still really awesome and crazy things. But the fact that the dark, dark Samus is like a multi-game kind of antagonist while still being, you know, like a yeah, clone I, I of, Sa- you know, right. Like Metroid, when you, now that we've really talked about it for the past, you know, 47 minutes or so, um, that, you know, Metroid does this trope, I think really well <laughs> overall compared to most properties. Like when you think of, overused tropes in metroid the doppelganger like clone trope is almost i i can't think of a time that's ever been the one named you know i've never stopped as a metroid fan and thought there are too many clones or too many doppelgangers in metroid that being said if they added more maybe would it cross the limit cross the line maybe it would um but i i think looking back at this looking at like ridley x dark samus sax um I think it's done really well. And I think, you know, dark samus wise the fact that this character like this this clone of samus got like this pretty solid character development over multiple games right um and like the or we see the origin of the character the full demise of the character um i think is really impressive and really well done and obviously has resonated with people because you know it's a i think a big part of why metroid prime was successful it had a really solid antagonist a really good story as well as being really good gameplay and and all that and and immersive and and all what we know and love about metroid prime 
but you know dark samus being included in, in smash and all these other things too uh lead to i think dark samus being a pretty good idea um and pretty awesome too but i love them both and i may i might take sax as well because i love the sax <laughs> and I, I feel like i was gonna yeah, i was I, gonna ask uh dark samus or sax but i feel like we're both on the the same side of that boat i i feel like i i, I was maybe a little like i actually i love dark samus too I, yeah I'm it's hard really to pick they're both dark great samus um, I, I do love, um, you know, I was kind of saying that she doesn't feel as threatening because you fight her so often, Yeah. but I actually think that that's fine because I think all three of those fights in Echoes are like really awesome fights and her theme music is wicked as well. Yeah. And actually it's a, that's a crime that that's not in Smash because that definitely should be. Yeah. Um, and, and, and th- yeah. that's the thing is that's not just like, oh yeah, Sam, it's not like Dark Sam is like a jobber, you know, like throwing down like dark matches like to, to the champ you know <laughs> on easy squashes right like those are hard fights those are big boss battles uh right, you might right. beat her a few times i mean you beat ridley a bunch of times but i still think when you come in to fight him like all right yeah let's let's do this um which again another, I, yeah. I do like that they kind of did in corruption what they did with sax in fusion where it's like you you've built up the the entire game basically around that confrontation and i i actually love that she like basically came in and whooped ass in like uh norian and destroyed every single hunter like basically with the snap of a finger so uh, i do like i i kind of like them i I like her presentation in both games i do love that there was like an arc Mm -hmm. for the metroid prime games i think that that's a really underrated reason why they were so successful is because you had like this story arc that started and culminated and finished and you know, that's actually something that Metroid does really well in general as well. Speaking of another, you know, underrated thing is just how it kind of has like mini game arcs almost. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that Dark Samus was was really awesome in this game. Uh, very, very different enemies. And again, it's like it's a very um, it's a big testament to the series that they have literally two clones of Samus and they are completely distinct with their own personalities, their own, mm-hmm. you know, their own t- quirks. And uh, both of them feel, you know, both of them feel awesome. And it doesn't feel like, you know, they've done it or they've gone to the well too much, even though, you know, at the end of the day, you have two clones of Samus. So I, I think that that's a really good achievement of uh, of Nintendo with Metroid. Absolutely agree. And and while we're still on the note of Dark Samus, I will say that I, I'm a big fan of the Prime 2 Dark Samus. Um, I love the, like, the phasing kind of breaking through the skin with, like, the, the fingers and the toes and all that. Yeah. Um, the Corruption prime uh or yeah the prime three corruption dark samus also looks really cool but it's like a little more streamlined looking um which i think makes sense story wise right like she's had more time to like get more power and like coalesce and former energy and all that so I, I think that makes more sense but i love the the prime two dark samus just looks so badass that being said the uh smash ultimate dark samus which is kind of like a combination of the two which is what smash i think does really well has these like composite uh looks for some of these characters who've had multiple forms or looks uh kind of brings and meshes them together i love the dark samus look in ultimate as well um but yeah i like i miss the prime two toes and the, the arm pads or the shoulder pads but yeah great characters love them and i'm glad we were able to talk about them today uh, okay so we we kind of ended on a question that we are going to answer and then we put it out to everybody as well. But, um, you know, obviously Metroid has done this trope very successfully. So naturally, uh, the, the question to end on here is, would we like to see another clone slash doppelganger slash antagonist like that? 
or do we think that it's probably time to retire this? Um, my answer is in terms of Samus, it's probably time to, to walk away from having another kind of Samus-esque like uh, villain, if you will. Yeah. Um, we were just, like, even last week when we were talking about Federation Force, I think that uh, the, the final battle, even though you're battling Samus as a big ball, <laughs> even that is just kind of like, okay, well, like, you know, we're, we're fighting Samus kind of again, or like she's being mind controlled. So like, you, I mean, you're basically, you're fighting like a dark Samus, right? Mm-hmm. Or like an evil Samus. So I was like, you know, this one, uh, this one doesn't exactly work for me. So, um, I, I think that I wouldn't be opposed to like seeing more, like if they were just like, here's, here's Kraid and we cloned him and that's why we brought him back to life. And that's what he's doing in Metroid prime four. I'd be like, yep. Okay, cool. Um, if there was another, like, like if Dark Samus were to come back specifically in another game, I'd be like, I I don't think so. I I don't. You had a good ending. You had a good story. I'm fine with you, like staying dead. Um, I I think I'm okay walking away from that. But uh, I'm you know as in the series in general in terms of clones, I'd be down to see just some like more general. Uh, I'd be down to see that trope being done again, but just not with Samus. Yeah, I th- I'm with you there. I don't think the trope is necessarily uh, something that needs to be avoided forever. It clearly can be done well. I don't think the next antagonist should be a clone of anything, probably. Though I still have a soft spot for the X and wouldn't mind seeing the SAX again or the X, but uh, I have no idea what direction they'll go in terms of the X with a fusion sequel if it ever happens. Um, but yeah, I think if we're going to see the doppelganger thing again, let's not have it be Samus. Um, maybe somebody else. I'm down for Ridley clones that don't suck. Uh, more Ridley clones are totally cool. Let's get a Kraid clone, um, Crocodile clone. You know, you know who we didn't even talk about at all was MB, who's like kind of a clone. Yeah, but not really a doppelganger (laughs) though. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of them. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the I, same I'm, thing. Well, you know what? We'll save talking well, what about game, MB what game is that for, from? Uh, for other What M. game is that from? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, exactly. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't heard <laughs> of that one. But um, I wanted to quickly shout out, though, because you mentioned Samus and Ballform in Federation Force. Someone, uh, uh, Griffin on Twitter, let, let off that tweet that he posted from the episode, mentioned that uh, apparently the, the civilization from that planet in Federation Force um, worshipped this thing called the Orb that was created by the Amplification Beam, and that's why... Possibly that Samus is fought in ball form because of, of that. So I don't know. Thanks to Griffin, though, for that extra Federation Force lore. And and speaking of which, I think I wanted to quickly uh, go through the tweets we got because we, we asked on Twitter, um, what did, you know, so what do we think of the use of the doppelganger trope in the Metroid series? And a bunch of people um, tweeted in response to that. So I figured we'd just quickly to round out the episode, uh, go through their tweets and quickly respond and, and give our thoughts. Yep, let's hit it. Uh, the first one, speaking of, is from Griffin. He says, I really like it. It's not very often that an evil doppelganger, doppelganger easy for me to say, <laughs> is the main antagonist, let alone the big bad of an amazing trilogy. Um, yeah. I agree with that. Right with you there, much man. To... Um, all right. So uh, C. C. McClellan says, I prefer the SAX as well. Both serve their purpose. Hope we see new threats in Prime 4 and not a retread of the old ground. So kind of like what we were saying we want to see something new and not necessarily clones. Uh, McTroyd agrees. He says, I love it. Both Dark Samus and the SAX have been straight up pure evil. And we're actually... So that's what I was thinking. I was talking about earlier. Is that like, when I think of like Dark Samus, I think of like, yeah, Dark Samus is kind of evil, right? Like it's not just 
like um, a natural kind of predator thing. But the SAX, I don't know if I would call the SAX evil. And I think that's part of why it's scary. It's not evil. It's like an organism, right? It's just an alien. Um, you know what it almost is? It is? Evil, it's, like, it's like a force of nature. It's yeah, like exactly. a, a destructive exactly. hurricane coming towards you. Exactly. So like, that's yeah, what I, I love I think about that's it. cool. Um, yeah, so good comment. Crimson Paladin uh, basically echoed what we just said. It's really impressive that the franchise managed to pull it off twice while having them feel distinct from each other. I just hope it stops there. Dom agrees. Pretty sure, or pretty cool, but if they bring it back again, it might be overkill. Yeah, so I think that's it, it a consensus. Seems like, yeah. yeah, it seems like that's a consensus that we're kind of okay with this trope for now. Uh, one last one here from Kirby Star. I do like the fact that Dark Samus isn't just Samus's darker side or whatever, but a phase-on hungry entity that just happens to look like Samus and therefore rival Samus in that regard. Same goes for the SAX, who's just a soulless copy, hungry for power. Oof. Yeah, I, I 100% yep. agree. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like the SAX is, it doesn't have necessarily that kind of evil quality. It's like it's, it's hungry for a certain thing that it was like built to need, right? Um, you know, the SAX is kind of you know hungry for organic matter, hungry for knowledge that these organisms have, and all of that. Um, I, I love that. I think just making something be bad because it's evil is, is late, not necessarily lazy, but it's, you know, it, it leaves a little room for depth and because it's sci-fi, I think having that science part to it, right. In the fiction of like, okay, this isn't an evil spirit or a bad guy, right. It's a, it's a, an alien that is hunting you because that's what it does. It's a predator. Um, or, you know, it, it, it craves this thing that exists in nature, um, which I really love. So, yeah, I think, and, but I think also, yeah, everyone is on consensus here that like, yep, it's been good. We've enjoyed it so far. Let's keep it that way. Let's do something new. And I think for every Metroid fan, um, new might, might not always be welcome, but I'm down for new stuff if it's done well. And I think in this case, it's been done well a lot, but I'm down for something new that could be done well. And it seems like, uh. Everyone agrees, but I do, I love, I got to go back to Griffin's comment. Yeah, the, the staying power of an antagonist over multiple games, I think, is definitely something to note. Um, and it's great and a big part of why we love that character and all the other ones that we mentioned uh, on this episode. You know what I think is noteworthy is we we put out the tweet that just generally asked what we think of uh, the doppelganger trope in the Metroid series. And nobody said anything about Little Birdie. <laughs> no. No one, Crickets. no, um, <laughs> absolutely not, dude. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, and another tweet just before we go, actually, uh, I saw Laurel, um, actually tweeted us a full list of like a bunch of developers for Metroid Prime 4, um, and mentioned a bunch of other games like Crisis and Donkey Kong, they're all, and Shadow of the Tomb Raider and Battlefield Hard. Yo, Metroid Prime 4 is going to be sick, but I know that game is probably not going to have a doppelganger. What, what if Dark Samus showed up again? How could Dark Samus show up if there's no phasing? I think we'll be okay in doppelgangers on that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of good comments on this. A lot of people uh, seem to like the doppelganger trope, and it seems like we like it too. Except no more fake crades, which I was surprised, dude. I thought you were going to be team fake crade. I thought you were going to be here. I, you know what? I was I was waiting too because as soon as I saw that, I was like, I bet you he thinks I'm <laughs> going to love fake crade. But I don't, so I'm going to surprise Dak today. I thought you were going to have like a fake crade shirt. Like a whole like like we need him like to be in more games like we need him to no be we in need Smash. Kraid to be in more games what if what we if fake Kraid was put in Prime Smash Prime. and not uh the real Kraid this the mini Kraid you know real Kraid might be too big for Smash but you know what they said that about Ridley and yeah there he is 
Um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap it up and get on out of here, Dak. Thank you for putting this together today. This is a nice little topic to talk about, and you know, hopefully, it's not long before we have more Metroid news. But for now, that's going to do it for us. We want you to check us out over on Twitter at Omega Metroid Pod and uh, individually also on Twitter at Spateri316 and at the Rapture underscore. Uh, of course, we also want you to check us out over on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, you know the drill, wherever you get your podcasts. Like and subscribe to the Omega Metroid Podcasts and uh, leave us a five-star review. That would be really cool. And recommend us to uh, that Metroid fan in your life and tell them where they can get their Metroid fix. That's going to do it for us. Until next week, guys, we will see you then.